0: Well, good morning, everybody. I also want to say a special congratulations to our graduating seniors. Looking forward to that dessert tonight. This certainly is the season, uh, graduation time, a very fun time of year. Uh, But this time of year also causes me to do a little bit of reflecting. I don't know what high school was like for you, but for me there were some subjects that were rather easy and there were other subjects that were a little more difficult. Harder to understand. So I especially enjoyed uh, PE, uh, <laughs> photography class, uh, even auto shop. My dad was a mechanic, so that was an easy one for me. But like I said, there were other classes that were much more difficult to understand. Two of the, the ones that were especially challenging were chemistry and physics. They required a little more work to pass and uh, Maybe that's why the teachers would commonly ask questions like, uh, do you have any questions? Do you understand? Those kind of things. And then I had a calculus class that was kind of the next level beyond that, a couple of years of calculus. And again, do you understand? Those kind of questions. And of course, my biggest question all along was, what am I doing here? Why am I here Anyway, and I'm feeling some of the same challenges to understand as we come to this prophecy in Daniel 9 today. It's a timetable of the future that deals with the Messiah and with the nation of Israel. One of the remarkable things is that Daniel himself didn't find this prophecy an easy grasp. And we see that because three times in the text we're reading today, Daniel is told by the angel Gabriel, you need to understand this. I'm here to help you understand this. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Now, what really blows Daniel's mind, I think, is that he doesn't just reveal to him about the 70 years that he's praying about, but God goes on and he reveals to him his plan for the nation of Israel, including the Messiah, for many, many years to come. In other words, God wants us to understand the future. But all of this begins with this answer to Daniel's prayer. And as we prepare to understand our passage, I want to first consider the importance of this prophecy, the importance of what we're reading here in this prophecy. If you haven't already, find your sermon notes, please, or open them up on your app, and that will help you with our understanding today, all right? So Daniel 9 has often been called the backbone of Bible prophecy, and it's called that because almost everything else in Bible prophecy attaches to this passage, this outline In Daniel 9 some way so remember the context the setting for this prophecy is the first 19 verses of Daniel 9 that's where Daniel prays he confesses the sin of his people as they ask God indeed send us back to Israel after the 70 years of captivity Daniel learned from reading the prophecies of Jeremiah that the captivity there in Babylon was just going to last for 70 years And he's been there for 67 years when he realized that. And so he knows they're very close to the end of captivity. And he's praying in earnest for his heart and for the hearts of his people to be ready to return to God and to go back home. And while Daniel is still praying these things, God sends him an immediate answer through the angel Gabriel. And in response, God goes far beyond... The restoration of the people from just Babylon. And he describes for Daniel Israel's ultimate and final restoration under the Messiah. So let's look now at the message of Gabriel to Daniel. This begins in verse 20. And as I read this, please look for, please notice the words understand or understanding. Daniel 9:20. While I was speaking and praying, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, And you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So, if you haven't already, I encourage you to take a Bible out and join me in Daniel 9, because while some of it's going to be on the screen, some of it won't be, and you will be helped by having your Bible open to Daniel chapter 9. So when Gabriel showed up, it was an indication that God had this special message for Daniel. Gabriel was the one who told Mary about, remember, Mary was told by Gabriel about the birth of Jesus, that that prophecy. Gabriel was also the one who told Zacharias about the coming birth of John the Baptist. When Daniel saw Gabriel, he recognized him as the one who had interpreted for him the vision of the ram and the goat that we read back in chapter 8. And so I, I think that Daniel knew when he saw Gabriel appear that he was about to hear something very special, something important. And indeed it was. It, it's the prophecy of the 70 weeks, or Daniel's 70 weeks, we sometimes call it. And it's a very detailed prophecy. Sometimes it's a little confusing. So I want to give you, first of all, this outline to sort of hang the whole prophecy on. Number Verse 24 is an overview of all 70 weeks. Verse 25 describes the first 69 weeks. Verse 26 describes the gap between week 69 and 70. And then verse 27 describes the the 70th week of Daniel. So with that as the outline, let's go ahead and and read the passage now, beginning at verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, And to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering." And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's bow together and pray once again. So, Father, we thank you for your holy word. And we thank you for this prophecy that you gave through Gabriel to Daniel. Lord, we need your help to understand it, but we thank you for just the, the realization you want us to understand the future. Some of it's already been fulfilled, that gives us great hope, great commitment to know that the future, these other prophecies, will be fulfilled as well. And so Lord, we thank you for this blessed hope that is revealed to us. We ask for open hearts and eyes now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So to help us grasp these four verses that we just read, I want to look with you at ten basic truths. And this comes right out of Mark Hitchcock's book called The End. He calls these 10 keys to understanding the 70 weeks of Daniel. And we're just going to go through them, tick them off one at a time. Key number one, it's about weeks of years. That term, 70 weeks, in verse 24, literally is 70 sevens. And so we have to decide what that means. 70 sets of seven. Is this seven days? Is it seven months? Is it seven weeks? Is it seven Years or something else altogether. And we have only the context to help us determine what it refers to. So if we go back earlier in chapter 9, we remember that Daniel has been reading about the 70 years of captivity. There in the scroll of Jeremiah, Daniel read about that, and that's what he was praying about. And so obviously years is what Daniel has in mind when he gets this revelation from Gabriel. So I think it's natural that he would have just immediately sort of thought about years. That's what he's been talking about in the chapter earlier. But there's another reason. As I mentioned last week, Israel was taken into captivity in part because they refused to obey God's command to keep the Sabbath year every seventh year. So think about that. They were to let the land rest the seventh year, every seventh year, And they were being punished for their disobedience, for stealing those 70 Sabbath years, so to speak. So what's the total number of time or years for their disobedience that they were under in their captivity in Babylon? Well, 70 times 7 would be 490 years. So again, that's why I believe the sets of 7 refers to years and not days and months or weeks. Most scholars, in fact, rightly see verse 24 as a reference to these 490 years, these sets of years. And of course, that's key number two. The total time then is 490 years. 70 times 7 is 490. So this entire period that we're looking at in this prophecy right now is a period of 490 years. Here's key number three. And this is very critical to our understanding. It's about the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The 490 years concerns the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem, not the church. So in verse 24, Gabriel tells Daniel this time period is, quote, decreed about your people and your holy city. So Daniel's people are the Jewish people and the holy city of the Jewish people, of course, refers to Jerusalem. God gave Jerusalem to the Jewish people. No matter else who claims it belongs to them, God gave it to his chosen people. Now, the Jewish people haven't always had control of Jerusalem. They haven't stewarded it that well, even when they did have control of it, but it rightly belongs to them, given to them by God himself. This would also be a good time to say something about a false teaching called replacement theology. There's a view that is prevalent today And it's a very serious doctrinal error, I believe, and the view says that the church has replaced Israel. Some people, some churches teach that since the Jewish people rejected Jesus as their Messiah, God has rejected the nation of Israel. And that the promises given to Israel in the Old Testament, therefore, are now given over to the church. Hence the name replacement theology. The church replaces Israel. And that view is common today, especially in liberal and mainline churches. In fact, one well known Bible teacher was asked at a conference of what significance is the existence of the nation Israel in the world today. To which he replied, I quote, it has utterly no significance at all because God is finished with Israel as of the crucifixion of their Messiah. Wow, is that true? No, absolutely not. God is not finished with Israel. And this prophecy in Daniel 9 is a strong reminder. God has not given up on his chosen people, as we'll see. God still has a plan for Israel, and it's a distinct plan from what he's doing with the church. He has a plan for both. But God's promises to Israel are unconditional. Scripture's clear that God will fulfill all his promises to Israel after the times of the Gentiles has been completed. Paul wrote about it like this in Romans 11. He said, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, talking about the mystery of the church. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. So Paul says here in Romans 11, God has a plan for Israel, but he set them aside temporarily. He's dealing with this mystery time period called the church age. But in the end, all Israel will be saved. And again, this prophecy of the 70 weeks focuses on the Jewish people and on the city of Jerusalem, not the church. Here's key number four. The purpose of the 70 weeks. Why has God instituted these 70 weeks in Israel's future? Well, the purpose is spelled out very specifically here in this passage, this verse that we just read. God gave Daniel six very clear objectives that are to be accomplished in verse 24. Six divine goals. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity. Now, those first three have to do with man's sin and with the removal of our sin. But then notice the next three. They have to do with God's righteousness. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So these are six things that will be accomplished during this 490-year period. And by the way, different people view them, interpret them differently. Personally, I would say that at least the last three of these six goals look ahead to the coming kingdom age. In other words, they're not all fulfilled in the first coming. Dr. Harold Honer, one of my seminary professors, put it like this, and I quote, To view these six things in Daniel 9.24 as having been fulfilled in Christ's death at his first advent is impossible. So even though there are different ways to interpret these six purposes, I don't see any way to say all six of these have been fulfilled in the past at the first coming of Christ. Some of these, I think at least the last three, are yet future. So again, the purpose of the 70 weeks of Daniel is for these six things we just read about to be fulfilled during this 490-year period. So the next key to understanding the prophecy is to, un, is to answer the question, when? When does the clock start ticking? When does the 70 weeks start? It's important to understand to know when it starts, okay? Sometimes this prophecy is actually called God's prophetic time clock. And this tells us that God has put Israel's future on a clock. And the answer about when it starts is in verse 25. Let's look there again. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. Let's stop right there. Notice the word from. From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. That's the when. That's when the divine clock for Israel started with that word, with that decree to restore and rebuild the city. So in Judaism there were three ideas of when that happened, which is probably why they would say they didn't know when it was fulfilled. But in my opinion, there's only one decree that fits this prophecy literally. Only once was a decree given to go restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Other decrees were given by uh, Gentile leaders to go back and to um, restore the temple or to go back and to help the people But only the decree of Artaxerxes in 444 B.C. fits this prophecy literally. Only that time was a decree made to actually rebuild the city of Jerusalem itself. That's the decree that we read about in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah was permitted to go back and he led the effort to rebuild the walls of the city. So scholars who have worked intensely on the dating of all of this believe that decree went out on March 5th, 444 B.C. And so that I, I agree with. Okay, that's when this time period of the 70 weeks most likely begins. Here's a chart to help you understand this incredible prophecy even better. And I want to show you where the date is shown on the charts, the March 5th, 444 B.C. date, right Here. Artaxerxes' decree, Nehemiah 7, March 5, 444 B.C., that's the decree to restore. That's the beginning of Daniel's weeks, the first 69 weeks. So the seven weeks plus the 62 is a total of 69, and that's shown there on the chart. Here's key number six. We'll come back to that. Key six, the first 69 weeks or 483 years. So 69 sets of 7 weeks, 7 years are going to transpire between that decree to rebuild the city and the coming of the prince. And if you multiply 69 times 7, it's going to be 483 years. And if you take 483 years using the Jewish way of accounting for years, you come up with a date of March 30, 33 A.D., as the day... When Jesus the Prince appeared. So do you know what happened on that date by any chance? Let's look at the chart again. On March 30, AD 33, scholars tell us Jesus appeared in Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. Messiah the Prince in his triumphal entry. By the way, other dates have been uh, suggested for the starting and ending Most notably, a man named Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book called The Coming Prince. He did a lot of detail in this. Uh, But I like to go with the dating of Dr. Harold Honer, who found some mistakes with uh, the previous work. Uh, Dr. Honer taught at Dallas Seminary when I was a student there, and he was a great professor. This was his forte. He wrote a book, in fact, called Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, if you want to check it out further. Dr. Honer, by the way, who passed away a few years ago, was asked once if anyone had ever been able to refute his statistics or calculations on these dates. And his response was no, no one ever has. Now, if you take the 483 years according to the Jewish calendar, counting for leap years and all of that, you come to a date of March 30, 33 AD. And that was the very date that scholars tell us Jesus rode into Jerusalem for his triumphal entry. That's the day when they were crying in the streets of Jerusalem, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the day that Jesus was recognized as Messiah the Prince, at least by many, not all, obviously. And that's why we call this prophecy the greatest prophecy that has ever been given. I mean, it would be amazing if I could tell you something that was going to happen next week or something that was going to happen next month, right? But to have this kind of specificity hundreds of years before it happened is staggering. And of course, Jesus was well aware of this prophecy. I want you to look with me at Luke 19. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Jesus made a very significant statement as part of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is in Luke 19. And when you get down to verse 41, you read this. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Back in verse 41, Jesus said, if you had known on this day. And I believe that what he was saying is that they should have recognized their day of visitation, but they failed to. That very day had been prophesied through the prophet Daniel. And so on that day, the first part of this prophecy was fulfilled. The first 69 weeks came to an end. And this stands as monumental proof of the inspiration of the Bible. The book of Daniel, you might remember, was written by Daniel in the 6th century B.C., so five to 600 years before the triumphal entry of Christ. And that's absolutely amazing, friends. So the next thing that we need to see in verse 26 is this gap called the church age. The gap called the church age. Another name for this time period is the age of grace. So notice in verse 26 what it says. It says, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. So let's go back to the chart again where we have been seeing these 70 weeks laid out for us. It says, after the triumphal entry, after the prince is presented, an anointed one will be cut off. And it was just a few days after his triumphal entry that Jesus was crucified. We believe the date was April 3rd, 33 A.D. And you see that right there on the chart. April 3rd, 33 A.D. That's a prediction of the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 26 then goes on to tell us, and the people of the prince who is to come, so two princes in this passage, one Jesus and one the Prince who is to come. The people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And what verse 26 tells us is that after those 69 weeks are completed, there's going to be a gap, and two things, significant things, will happen at least. First, the Messiah will be cut off. You see that on the chart. And secondly, Jerusalem will be destroyed, and that's also there on the chart, A.D. 70. Now, we're in that gap still today, and so that gap has gone on now for almost 2,000 years. And this is where some people who hold to different interpretations of this passage get upset. Okay? They don't see this long gap here. But I want you to notice that there is already a gap between the end of the 69th week, 33 A.D., and one of the things mentioned in the gap, which is the city and the temple destroyed in A.D. 70. So there's already at least a 37-year gap there. And I believe there are several other reasons, good reasons, to recognize this gap represented by verse 26. First, we see gaps throughout the Bible, double prophecies, where prophets are given a revelation of the future, and they kind of write about them, but they don't see that there's a gap between the first fulfillment and the second fulfillment of it. So here's a chart that illustrates what I'm talking about. We looked at this earlier in another section of Daniel when we were talking about the double prophetic fulfillment. All right. So like other prophecies in God's Word, the Bible has many that have dual fulfillment. a near fulfillment, then a time gap, and then a far fulfillment. And I believe Daniel 9 is one of those. There's another reason, though, that we see a gap in verse 26, and that's the testimony of Jesus himself. In Matthew 24, 15, Jesus referred to Daniel 9 in this prophecy, and he said, "...it is yet to be fulfilled." So, when you see the abomination of desolation, this is what Jesus said, Matthew 24 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader beware. So, Jesus refers to this prophecy himself. He says Daniel was the one who penned it, and he told his disciples look for these things to happen in the future. These things Daniel wrote down are going to happen in the future. Beware when you see the Antichrist in the temple. By the way, Jesus also said this about this period in Luke 21. He said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So at the end of those first 69 years, God stopped the clock, as it were. And we're living today in that gap that we call the church age. It's a gap of unspecified duration before the 70th week of Daniel begins. And then I believe the church age will end when the church is raptured and taken up to heaven. And then the 70th week of Daniel will begin. And again, I want you to remember that all 70 of those weeks are specifically about the nation of Israel. Not the church, but about Israel. That brings us to key number eight. Antichrist treaty and the final seven years. That's verse 27. And this verse is the basis for our understanding that the tribulation is seven years long. Now over in the book of Revelation, the, sort of the companion book to Daniel, John, the apostle, tells us repeatedly about the 42 months or the 1260 days, both of which are a reference to the three and a half years, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. But the question is, where did he get that time period from? I believe he got it right here from the book of Daniel. And it's apparent here in verse 27 that the tribulation is going to be seven years in length. Let's read it again. And he, that's the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So this idea of a 7-year tribulation divided into two halves is right here from Daniel 9:27, and it helps us understand what's going to happen in the tribulation when God is dealing with the nation of Israel. Notice that word he at the beginning of this verse. All millennialists say that, no, that refers to Jesus. It's Jesus who made this strong covenant with many for one week. Okay, and the question I have, I don't think that's right, but the question I would have, if that's the case, where is that seven year covenant? And how was that covenant broken halfway through the, the seven years? I don't see it. A big clue about who the He is here is the context. And the nearest antecedent is back in verse 26, and it refers to the prince who is coming who will destroy Jerusalem. So a much better interpretation of this he at the beginning of verse 27 is that this refers to the Antichrist. It refers to the little horn that we saw earlier in Daniel's prophetic revelation. It's also called the beast in the book of Revelation. And what we learn here is the Antichrist is going to make a covenant or a peace treaty with Israel. Some sort of treaty between Israel and her Arab neighbors. He will likely be hailed as the greatest peacemaker in all of the world, in all of history. Probably will be the times person of the year and much, much more. And then notice, this is key number nine, he's going to break the treaty at the midpoint of the tribulation. The Antichrist breaks the treaty after three and a half years. So look carefully again at verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, if the Antichrist puts an end to sacrifice and offering, that means that they have been going on, right? And where is the only place where Israel will make sacrifices? In the temple in Jerusalem, absolutely. And what this means, what this tells us, is that Israel will have a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem during the tribulation. Now, when will that temple be built? Well, we don't know. But clearly it has to be built before the midpoint of the tribulation, because for the Antichrist to stop the sacrifices, the offerings at the midpoint, it has to already be going on before that. So evidently this treaty Antichrist makes with Israel gives them the right, the permission to rebuild their temple again in Jerusalem. And by the way, they are ready to do that even now. They're set to go. We visited the Temple Institute in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago. And it is a place, it's a group of people in a place where they are gathering the clothing and the articles and pieces of furniture needed to be in the new temple. They even have the golden menorah there ready to go. And we stood out in front of it there in the Jewish quarter just a couple of weeks ago. There's the lovely Jody Durr standing in front of it to give you an idea of the size. It's over six feet tall. It weighs over 1,000 pounds, and it's worth $3 million. And it's behind a bulletproof case there and constant surveillance. And uh, Now, this is one of the thorniest problems, not the menorah, but one of the thorniest problems in all of Bible prophecy is how will the Jews ever be able to rebuild the temple on the 48th 40-acre platform called the Temple Mount, where the Dome of the Rock stands today. So here's a picture of that. Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock, is the Golden Dome Mosque there that Muslims say is their third most holy site in their religion. They are not going to be inclined to let the Jews uh, replace that with a temple or to even build the temple next to it, I, I believe. Here's an aerial view of the temple platform. Same spot up from the air, giving you a little bit better view. This is the most important piece of real estate in all of the world, because this is Mount Moriah. This is the spot where God told Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, the spot where Solomon built the first temple, and the place where the Jews built the second temple. How will it be possible for the third temple to be rebuilt here? All kinds of theories out there. We, we honestly don't know. Some say maybe an earthquake, some say maybe the Gog and Magog war will destroy this mosque. Uh, we don't know how this will take place, but somehow the Jews will have a third temple in Jerusalem in the tribulation. I don't know what the Antichrist will do, but some appears to me that in his covenant with the Jewish people, he's going to make possible for them to rebuild the temple and offer sacrifices again. In regard to this, I want to show you a two-minute video clip that we filmed while we were in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago that addresses this very question. So let's go ahead and watch that now. Hi, everyone at Lake City. I'm standing here on the patio of our hotel, and uh, this is on Mount Scopus, which is north of the temple platform. Uh, in my, the background, you can see the Dome of the Rock, which is on the temple platform. I want to introduce our uh, wonderful Israeli tour guide Ellie to you, and he's going to have a few comments as well. And so, this is our friend Ellie.
1: Ellie, come and uh, share the, the thoughts that you shared with us as well, please. So, we're standing right now north of the temple platform. If you look, you can see it uh, looking at it from the north towards the south. And in the old city of Jerusalem, in the Jewish border, there's a, an association called the Temple Institute. Uh, and An association that started with the target of preparing everything for the third temple Uh, vessels instruments clothing people that will minister in the temple they already have blueprints and everything uh, needed and basically they're just waiting for the green light i was there with the group a couple of years ago and uh, we had a tour inside to see everything that was already prepared and at the end the local guide gave us some time for questions and one of the people in our group asked if they in the Temple Institute think that Israel should uh, take over the Temple Mount completely once and for all and destroy the Dome of the Rock and start rebuilding the Third Temple. And Her answer was really interesting. She said that uh, they in the Temple Institute believed that just like with the First Temple, it wasn't built by David because David was a man of war. It was built by Solomon who was a man of peace, they believed that the Third Temple should be built. in uh, in a peace agreement or a covenant of some sort that will enable them uh, to build it.
0: Pretty fascinating that even uh, some of the Jews, definitely those at the Temple Institute, believe in a coming peace treaty that will give them the permission to rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem and resume making sacrifices there. But then the Antichrist will break his covenant after three and a half years and put an end to the sacrifices. That takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation. And then finally, key number 10 is the end of the 70 weeks. <clears throat> Excuse me. Finally, at the end of the 70th week, God is going to kill the Antichrist. So let me read the end of verse 27 one more time for you. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And I believe this refers to the Antichrist, who according to 2 Thessalonians 2, will sit in the temple and declare that he is God and that everyone must worship only him. He is going to actually put an image of himself in the Holy of Holies and demand everyone worship his image. That will be the final abomination of desolation. And then it says at the end of this verse, he will be put to death. And that will happen, I believe, when Jesus comes in his second coming at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the 70th week. That concludes uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel. So God has given through Gabriel to the prophet Daniel, telling his people what to expect these 70 weeks of years or 490 years. The first 69 weeks are already fulfilled, and we're waiting for that last week yet to be fulfilled. And of course, that raises the question, where exactly are we today? Or what's the big picture? What's next in God's prophetic plan? And as I said earlier, we're living today in that gap of time that we call the church age. We're waiting for the rapture of the church, which wasn't part of Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. And it wasn't because Daniel's prophecy related to the Jewish people. The rapture is about the church. So I'm going to show you a different chart, which is much broader in scope and is helpful to see where we're at today in God's prophetic plan. So we've been talking about Daniel's 70th week, which is this tribulation week. We also talked about the 69 weeks, which was over here. So the 69 weeks over here, 70th week here. We're in this gap. Excuse me. We're in this uh, church age, this gap right here, right before the rapture and the war of Gog and Magog. By the way, uh, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ is here, the great white throne judgment, and then the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, off in the future. But the church age is where we're living today, that gap that is described by Daniel between week 69 and 70. So, what's next on God's prophetic calendar? I believe it's the rapture of the church and the Gog and Magog war, or the Ezekiel 38 war is another name for it. Question How close are we to these things? Well, no one knows. But every indication seems to say that we are getting close. I'm looking for the Lord to come back in my own lifetime. I think it's going to be that soon. Can't guarantee that, but that's what I anticipate. I like the way someone put it. I heard this this week. Someone said it like this. I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. (laughs) Amen? I'm looking for the upper taker. That's the blessed hope of believers. We're going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air, and we're going to see our loved ones again in heaven, those who have died in the Lord. That's our blessed hope. Paul writes, that's what we're looking forward to. And I hope that's what you are looking forward to. If you know Jesus Christ, that's your future, plain and simple. One of these days, the trumpet will sound. The Lord will split the skies and meet us in the air and take us up to meet him. How close are we to that? I want to give you five signs of the end times, five signs that the end is near. All of these signs were foretold in God's word as things to recognize that were near the second coming of Christ. Number one is the regathering of the Jewish people in the land. So the rebirth of the state of Israel in 1948 is the super sign of Bible prophecy. It was a miracle of history. Never before in history has a nation been destroyed, its people dispersed to the ends of the earth, and then nearly 2,000 years later, Regathered to their homeland and reestablished as a nation. But God predicted that that would happen in Ezekiel 37 in the vision of the dry bones, and that has happened. Israel is back in its land, and during the tribulation, Israel will turn to the Lord again and be saved, the Bible says. Sign number two is growing apostasy, growing false teaching, in other words. Sign three is the clamoring for Middle East peace. Hear that today. Sign four is a reuniting of the Roman Empire. We looked at that back in Daniel chapter two, the ten toes on the image. Keep your eyes on Europe. That's where the Roman Empire will be revived, I believe. And then sign number five is globalism. And by globalism, I mean a one world government, a one world financial system, and a one world religion. These are all described for us in the book of Revelation, and things are moving in that direction today there's this push toward globalism and one of the reasons is because that needs to be in place ready to go for the tribulation much more could be said of course but we're out of time i want to move right into application as i wrap up so four next steps for you sometimes people say pastor jesus is coming back so what should i do Read the words of prophecy, because prophecy always tells us what to do about what we know is coming. I want to summarize it with these four things. First, the Bible says, stay centered in Christ. Stay centered on Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Stay centered on Jesus Christ. Set your mind on him and the things above. Number two, stay confident in God's word. Stay committed to his word with all of your heart. It's what God has given us to help us in preparation for these challenging days. God gives us his word to help us. And once again today in this prophecy of Daniel 9, we see the precision of God's word. It's staggering. This is monumental proof of the inspiration and trustworthiness of the Bible. So stay centered on Christ. Stay confident in his word. Number three is stay connected to his church. Did you know that? The Bible says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of his appearing drawing near." God has placed us right now in this time of human history. And it's an exciting time to be alive, but it's a challenging time in other ways. And we need each other more than ever. This is not a time to be scattering as God's people. This is a time to be gathering as God's people. And friend, if you aren't actively and fully engaged in church, whether here or someplace else, you need need to increase your commitment to it. Church is God's plan and God's provision for his children to find strength and encouragement. These are days that we need each other in God's family more than ever. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day of his appearing drawing near. And then for the last next step I'm going to move down to the communion table at this time. Next step number 4 is stay calm in your spirit. Stay calm in your spirit. This isn't a time for us to be anxious and to panic. God didn't reveal these truths about what's coming to to stress us out or to give us fear. So stay calm in your spirit. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus spoken and recorded for us in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Bible says we don't have to be afraid or troubled or worried or fearful. Almighty God is still on the throne, He is in control. Or as someone put it, and I love this, someone put it like this, things aren't falling apart, they're falling into place. Remember that, beloved. He has his plans laid out for us, and he has come, Jesus is coming again for us. And One of the best things that Jesus has said is that God loves you and he wants you to be with him in heaven. He's preparing a place for you and for me so that we can be with him forever. And that is our blessed hope.